namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uthang dhammang sankhang namassami It's very nice to see you all on this Vaisaka Puja. Uh, some new faces, a lot of the old faces, which is lovely, of course. It's, um, each year we do this thing, get together and remember the occasion of the Buddha's birth, the Buddha's enlightenment and the Buddha's passing away. And uh, Indeed, between this time last year and now, some of our dear friends have passed away. Uh, it was, uh, particularly... Uh, Gilbert, Dr. Gilbert Silver, is not with us anymore. Uh, one of the leading lights in the Sri Lankan community has passed away. And, of course, uh, Hall, Sompong's husband, who was with us for many, many years, is also uh, not with us anymore. And probably between then and now, there's also some new ones arrived. Um, I don't know if, if the Malaysian people are still here or if they've taken the little ones away. But... Um, also, lots has been going on in the community. I, I hope you've noticed how wonderfully clean and freshly painted and polished our Dhamma Hall is. And thanks to some of the uh, good friends, the nice new curtains as well. And you may also have heard that, um, that the monastery has expanded a little bit, that we, well, when our solicitor and their solicitor get these things sorted, we will have the lake down the bottom of the hill, that uh, beautiful five acres of lake and four acres of lake and five and a half acres of field will be part of the monastery. And I'm sure it's just a few tying up of loose ends involved. I hope it is um, because it's something after nearly 30 years of being here on this little patch of land, everybody very contented, hopefully, and, and grateful, certainly, to have just a little bit more land uh, to expand into, possibly build a few cooties, a couple of cooties for the monks to meditate in. I'd like to also, uh, if it works out, to build a nice little quiet chapel down there, a place to go and meditate beside the lake, and certainly uh, an opportunity to do walking and sitting meditation. Uh, also, the community members, I don't know, I think this time last year, Samanir Arya was still Anagarika skipper, I think. Ajahn Anando certainly wasn't here. Ajahn Anando is visiting us from Amrawati. And um, I think everything else was much the same. Oh, Bhikkhu Nyana Wisuti was then plain old Samanera Wisuti. And I don't think Gabor was with us at Vaisak last year, Anagarika Gabor from Hungary. Uh, maybe I wasn't here either. Was I here last year? <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have disappeared as well for a year, which was very nice, and thank you very much for that. I'm here again, and I'm happy to be here again. Um, you will have heard, I think, that, um, that our teacher, Ajahn Sumato, is uh, moving on. That's, that's a big deal for us in terms of things that are changing. Uh, I think most of you know who he is. If, if you don't, he was the, the senior disciple of our teacher Ajahn Chah in Thailand and senior Western disciple and 
was the one who was bold enough and brave enough and had enough energy to dare to come out into the West and start establishing monasteries and uh, a lot of good and wonderful things have happened as a result of that. In this country we have four monasteries in Italy and Switzerland also and America, Canada and New Zealand as well as all the, uh, the lay Dhamma centres that he's been teaching at and the fact that now after well, the 33 years of seriously hard work and, and huge sacrifice and he's 76 years old this year um, and uh, running a small monastery like this I can tell you is hard work running a huge place like Amrawati is massive and so uh, I think he's had enough and uh, so it really does need somebody else to be there to do that and and as they do in the in the, the, the Christian tradition when when uh, when a new vicar moves in or a new abbot moves into the monastery the old one has to dis- disappear at least for a few years and so um, we're certainly not throwing him out <laughs> we don't want to see him go actually but uh, I think we all agree uh, that it is good for him to to go somewhere else for a few years and he's welcoming the opportunity to go back to Thailand to his monastery uh, Wat Pong, where I was first ordained with, uh, with Ajahn Chah and so one of the things we've been thinking about in fact just tomorrow I'm going down to Amrawati to particularly talk about how are we going to mark this occasion now somebody who has given so much who has been so important to so many people or everybody here or nearly everybody here uh, has him as their preceptor and many of you will have been on retreat with him and will have been aware of uh, the, the huge amount of effort he's made over all these years to build and help run these places and and how do you honor I think that's the word how do you honor a teacher like that and so and like today we're here we're honoring our teacher the Lord Buddha yeah, it's because of him that we're here and because of him we have this opportunity because of him we have these teachings and it's because of his disciples who've helped carry these teachings through uh, the century, through the millennia that we have this and so when somebody is leaving like when the Buddha was dying uh, everybody wants to obviously honour that and, and make some sort of a gesture and when the Buddha was dying and, and there were... Um, some of the monks were having a hard time of it and getting very upset and and some of them were crying and others were bringing him flowers and he said, actually, he said, if you want to really honour me, if you want to really honour what I've offered, then uh, then practice. Don't bring me flowers. I'm sure he he didn't mind the flowers. He he enjoyed flowers. But the real point of of honouring the teacher is to honour the teachings. And I know this is also Ajahn Sumato's wish. When he first announced that he was leaving, it was a few weeks ago now, it didn't go down very well. Uh, Quite a few people got a little shaken up by that and there were some ripples, some waves actually, uh, through the community. So, you know, how are we going to handle this? And and even though Ajahn Amaro, who's, you know, he's got big shoulders, he can carry a lot of weight and he's a big boy, he knows how to look after himself and I'm... And having lived in California for the last 12 years or so, I'm sure he's learned a few things about running monasteries as well. Uh, he's coming back to take over running Amrawati. Uh, but still, I think everybody, it took a wee while to, to come to terms with the idea of losing the teacher. 
But one of the things that uh, we we have to uh, we're called to reflect on, and we when something even something good like that, where he's going away because he wants to spend his older years on his own, being quiet. That's what he wants. And and after he's given so much for so long, well, of course we should give that to him. But <laughs> we like him. You know, we, we don't want him to go. And so what is that? You know, that's suffering. And so in keeping with what the Buddha taught us and in keeping with all the great teachers that have taught us over the years that to really honour the teacher is to practice the teaching. Somebody's mobile phone's not turned off. <laughs> That's okay. So in honouring the teaching, what do we do? We actually look at the suffering and we don't make a problem out of it. When there's attachment, there's suffering. If there's no attachment, there's no suffering. Shall we put up with it or should we try and do something about it? Has somebody got a mobile phone? It's, um... You think it's a sound system? Well, it seems to have adjusted now. Okay. <laughs> you probably don't need me, do you? Do you need a sound system? I can, you can hear me down the back. Do you want to just tweak the sound system, see if you can do anything with it? What is it? It's a mobile phone. It's not the sound system. Please, could everybody check mobile phones? There must be one somewhere that's... Uh, we actually don't have this problem. We do use the sound system very regularly, so... Maybe it's my mobile phone. Is it? never know whose it was <laughs> and even embarrassment if it's suffering then we look at it <laughs> this is my teacher I know one teacher he actually when he was on retreat he had all the disciples of course you're not supposed to bring your mobile phone into the meditation room during the sittings but um, he had one on one session he had everybody bring their mobile phone in and turn it on and to sit there through the meditation sittings, I don't know, it was a whole day, with your phone switched on in front of you. And if it rang, you weren't allowed to answer it. And you just feel, how does that feel? Very interesting, a very interesting study. This is our practice. This is our practice. Now, of course, we can think going to the temple, reading the scriptures, meditating, what are these things? This is Dhamma. Yes, this is Dhamma. But really... Dhamma is not just something special in some special place, but it's actually as soon as we're suffering, where's the cause of suffering? One of the things that we're doing in honouring Ajahn Sumedha's moving on is uh, preparing a, a nice photo album. Somebody has generously offered to sponsor printing a large number of, of uh, these photo albums to give out to everybody. And it's my job to do it, which I'm happy doing. But uh, 90 pages of Ajahn Sumedha smiling is a bit much. <laughs> uh, we like his laugh, but, you know, 90 pages is a bit much. So what I thought, well, you know, we'll just incorporate the teaching as well. That's really the message. It's not just the smile. Uh, and so looking at his teachings, basically what Ajahn Sumedha, in fact, I remember him many years ago, the very first years we came to this country, and he was aware of all the options for 
reinterpreting the Buddha's teachings and proliferating and speculating and, and presenting the teachings in different creative ways. And he said, well, it seems to me that the Four Noble Truths, nobody's talking about it anymore. They consider this sort of primitive Buddhism or basic Buddhism. But as far as he was concerned in terms of his practice, the Four Noble Truths was Buddhism. And so he made a determination that he was always going to keep his teachings in reference within the limitations of the Four Noble Truths. And looking back over his talks, the written and recorded talks, what we've done is we've um, selected little extracts from his teachings on the Four Noble Truths, and this is going to be uh, included in this, this photo album. And the point of it is hopefully to remind us all that uh, you know, whenever we're suffering, the, the Buddha said there's, there's, there's only, there's, even Four Noble Truths is too much. There's actually only two things you have to pay attention to. Suffering and the cause of suffering. Yeah. And so even when it's something like losing our teacher, or if your teacher misbehaves, I was talking to somebody recently who was struggling because one of their teachers had behaving in a, in a strange way and didn't seem to accord with some of the things that he'd been saying, and, and as a result there was suffering. Said, well, you know, it's, it's, to honour the teacher doesn't mean to say that you get attached to the teacher. Yeah. to honor the teacher means we listen to what the teacher is saying and then we apply the teachings and this is not just this is not just putting a spin on it this is actually what the buddha really wanted us to do now if we if we if we we approve of the teacher we appreciate the teacher but then we attach to the teacher well you know that actually spoils it in a way i often think of like a butterfly you know a beautiful butterfly uh, it's gorgeous, a beautiful butterfly, but if you actually grasp it, well, it's not beautiful anymore. I remember when I was a kid, actually, I, I used to like collecting dead butterflies and dead moths. And one day my grandfather called me into the living room and said, I've got something for you and something you'll like. And there on the back of the couch was this beautiful moth, but he'd stuck a pen right through it. And he thought I would like it. And, you know, but I was only collecting dead ones. I didn't mean, you know that you actually had to go and kill them. I mean, at that age, and, and still now, quite frankly, I'd much rather people don't go sticking pins through beautiful moths and beautiful butterflies. That's not beautiful anymore. And the beauty of life, even the beauty of a relationship with a teacher, we can spoil if we... What, what is it we do? It's not just necessarily something we do with our heads, it's something we do with our hearts. And so this is, I think this is a, this is a very important thing when we come to an occasion like this, Honouring the Buddha, to reflect on, you know, Vaisaka Puja. You know, the, the Puja means honouring, to reflect on what does it mean to honour something, to pay respect. Symbolically, we, we bow, that's one thing we do. Now, another little project I've got going at the moment is uh, to do a, a wee booklet called How to Bow or Why Bow. Uh, it's just a small booklet because... Um, got some nice drawings in it and because uh, Western is not brought up in a traditional Buddhist culture, often don't even know the form of it. And if you don't know the form, well, then you can feel a bit clumsy. And so this hopefully will help people feel comfortable and, and then also maybe a little bit of a few words in there on the benefit of bowing. Because I know myself, when I first went to live in Thailand 35 or so years ago, and then being asked to bow to people it didn't come naturally. I didn't find it very easy. And it wasn't just that I didn't know the form. 
But there was some rigidity there. There was a rigidity. There was a resistance. But I don't want to. And, and it, okay, I, I could forgive myself for having difficulty bowing to Westerners because that was really weird. But I even had difficulty bowing to uh, my teacher, people who I looked up to. There was a rigidity in the system that I don't want to lower myself. And, that's, and it's not that I thought I shouldn't lower myself. In fact, I thought I should because he was obviously greater than me, and I actually really wanted to be able to lower myself. But I didn't have the habit of lowering myself. What I did have was the habit of holding myself very tightly, stiff back, stiff neck, stiff shoulders, taking myself very seriously, which is what I had cultivated. So it took me a few years, a few months, a few years, I think, to learn to bow in a relaxed way. To, in fact, eventually to really enjoy bowing. Because when the back is relaxed, the shoulders are relaxed, the neck is relaxed, and we lower ourselves, we actually raise up Dhamma. And when we lower ourselves, we elevate, we give room to reality. Yeah. I and me and my holding and my rigidity is what gets in the way all the time. So the Buddha, over and over again, in many ways, encouraged us to honour that which is worthy of honour, like just now. In the, the chanting we did, the Mahamangala Sutta, Puja Japuja Niyanang Etang Mangala Mutamang, honor that which is worthy of honor, or show devotion to that which is worthy of devotion. Puja, Puja Japuja Niyanang. And this is a, a training that we can do. And the fact that I didn't get taught it as I grew up in Tiaramutu and in Morrinsville in New Zealand uh, was a pity because what I grew up with was a rigidity, which meant that even when it was in a position, where I really wanted to lower myself, I found it very hard. So on an occasion like this, uh, Waisaka Puja, the opportunity to uh, give some thought to what does it mean to honour something, to show honour, to show respect, to show devotion, and can we do it? And the encouragement that we have is, is, uh, is very clear. There was uh, a few days ago, was, uh, the, was it Friday, the the actual full moon of, uh, of Waisak. And um, those of you that are on the fortnightly uh, mailing list that I send out, I see some of you nodding your heads. You read my posting I sent out uh, every two weeks. This little Dhammapada verse gets sent out and I put a few words extra just to trigger people's own contemplation. And, and that verse there, those of you that read it was, I think, uh, 195 and 196 and that verse there the Buddha said immeasurable is the benefit obtained from honouring those who are pure and beyond fear mm. beings who have found freedom from sorrow and grieving are worthy of honour and this is something he said over and over again to honour that which is worthy of honour what does it do? When we honour something, like when Ajahn Chah came to England and America and he went back to Thailand, one of the comments he made was he said they've got a great potential over there. He said the one problem is that they all think they're equal. You know, there's this thing about equality. He said they have difficulty raising something up. And when you can't raise up something that is, you really think is worthy, then actually you lose out. And this is the thing. To honour that which is worthy of honour, as, I, as I, I think I wrote about in that comment the other day, was that when we honour virtue, it's the virtue within us that gets activated. Yeah. 
It's virtue within us that even recognises virtue outside of us. If there wasn't any wisdom here, we wouldn't recognise wisdom when we heard it. If there wasn't any goodness here, we wouldn't recognise goodness when we saw it. If there wasn't a capacity for loving here, we wouldn't recognise love when we saw it or experienced it or received it. But because there's virtue here, potentially, we can recognise virtue out there. And what the Buddha was saying was, honour the virtue, raise it up. And then that within us, which is virtuous, gets nourished, is strengthened. And so to find opportunities to do this, it's not, this is not just a superstitious practice or something that other people in other cultures do, but something that we're encouraged to do in ourselves to find ways of admiring that which is beautiful. Mm. Admiration is a wonderful quality of heart and mind that when you admire something, when you love something, you become it. Have you looked at that website I was looking at recently of um, people who look like their pets? You know, it's a wonderful website. There's all these people who look like their dogs, mostly. And they really do. You know, when you really love your dog long enough, you end up looking like your dog. (laughs) And, you know, know, it's not absolutely true, but there's something in that, you know, that you really take on those qualities. And so that's why the Buddha encourages us to love Dhamma, love reality. Now, if you love Madonna... (laughs) She's all right, I suppose. <laughs> I don't really think she's worthy of honour, you know, bowing down to. But what do people do? Or money? But to love that which is worthy of love, to honour that which is worthy of honour, is something Buddha encourages us to think about. So, in that first stanza of the Maha uh, of the uh, Mahamangala Sutta, Pujaja Pujaniyanang, honour that which is worthy of honour. We're being encouraged to investigate, to investigate and see what. What is worthy of honour? What do we really honour? What do we love? What do we admire most? Now, I'm really happy that all of you love Dhamma enough to come here on the Buddha's birthday. I think this is wonderful. It takes time. It takes effort. There's people here from from Carlisle. There's people here from Edinburgh. uh, There's people here from Melbourne, Australia. Not that they came all the way just for Waysark, but but, it does take effort and energy to be here. It takes effort and energy to do that which is good. It doesn't take effort and energy to do that which is easy. I mean, to follow our conditioned preferences, to do what we want. Again, I was talking with Ajahn Sumato not so long ago, and he was talking about what a huge privilege it's been to be in a position where he, he was forced to go against his desires so often. I mean, it is a real, those of you that are parents who are in positions of responsibility, know that you can't meet your obligations by just doing what you want. You know, life's not like that. If you've got obligations, you've basically got to put aside what you want and do what you are called to do. But then after you do that, what happens? What happens when we do the right thing? What happens when we do the good thing and we actually release out of what I want to do, what I want to do, is that actually I becomes a little less. We're able to let go of me and my way just a little bit. And as it is with bowing, as it is with honouring, we lower ourselves and we raise up Dhamma. We lower ourselves, me and my way, and we allow room for reality. So as we, if we do investigate this and we start to get a feeling for it and, and start to sense what's going on, as I said, with when I first started to relax into bowing, thought, oh, this feels good. I actually enjoy really showing respect 
for virtue. Even if I don't happen to like this guy, which is sometimes the case, still is sometimes the case. People that are senior to me, you know, don't like them all. Yeah, they do things that don't agree with my condition preferences, but a lot of them are much better than me. And so to be able to bypass my condition preferences and to honour that which is worthy of honour feels great, feels wonderful. And then also we, we learn to see how, how this isn't just about becoming good or, or right, but also it relates directly to understanding. You know, why, do we, why do we make misjudgments so often? Why is the world such a mess? You know, I go around the world and travel around and most people I meet are good. I mean, most people in the world are good, basically. And yet why, why do people make such big mistakes in their lives? And misperception, wrong understanding. We have wrong understanding, wrong perception, lack of experience, lack of knowledge. Yeah. And we misperceive and make, make wrong judgments. So why does this happen? Well, again, it's a result of clinging. And we have partial view. We only see a small part of reality. We don't see the bigger picture. We don't even see hardly anything that's going on, really. We just see according, a lot of the time, we see according to our preferences. Like if you want something to be a certain way, like the monks were talking about, is there evening chanting tonight, Sunday night? And said, no, no, we never do evening chanting on Sunday night after Wayside. Well, actually, we do. You know, but some people don't want to do evening chanting, so they have the idea that there isn't any evening chanting. Uh, according to our preferences, well, that's how we think. Uh, it distorts our thinking. If we like something, how easy is it to convince ourselves it's okay to have it? Or if we hate something, if we're angry at somebody, you know, if we're angry at somebody or we resent somebody, how easy is it to actually start to think about all the reasons why they justify or they deserve our anger or our resentment, how bad they actually are? So long as there's attachment to partial views, we only see a very small perspective on reality, we don't understand clearly, and then we make wrong judgments. And some years ago, there was a, uh, a young Thai monk was visiting one of our monasteries here in Europe. He heard the, the cuckoo going. You know, the, it hasn't started yet, I don't think. Has the cuckoo started yet? He never actually heard of a real cuckoo. He lived in Thailand. All he knew about was cuckoo clocks. That was his experience. And so he thought this was a broken cuckoo clock. He said, why doesn't somebody fix that broken cuckoo clock? Well, you know, when our, when our knowledge is partial, when our knowledge is limited, well, we make ridiculous judgment. And that's what we do all the time you know, about ourselves. We don't really understand ourselves. We have these perceptions of who and what we are, you know, born out of our attachments. So if there's anything we can do to let go of our attachments to self and other, me and mine. If there's anything we can do that helps us relax out of this contracted way of holding life so there's room for reality. And it wasn't that like the Buddha was having a good time all the time. It wasn't the Buddha was surrounded with agreeable conditions all the time. The Buddha didn't suffer, but it's not the case the Buddha didn't have pain. It wasn't the Buddha was having a scrumptious meal given to him every day. There's that one wasa where he was living off horse chaff. Remember those of you who read the scriptures? He had terrible food to eat sometimes. And as he got old, he had arthritis and, and pain that he was having to deal with. It wasn't as if he, was, he didn't experience pain. He had pain in the body. But what was different about the Buddha? 
he didn't find his identity in the body. He didn't find his self in the body. He wasn't attached to the sensations of the body or the movements of the mind. The Buddha's identity was the realization, the awareness of reality. The awareness itself was his identity. And so the difference between us and the Buddha, we are clinging and he wasn't. So we suffer and he didn't. And so in contemplating the place of puja or honouring or learning how to honour that which is worthy of honour, I would encourage us all to think about it not just as, as some custom or the right thing to do in terms of some tradition, but rather the skillful way of, of helping us to, to, to soften ourselves, you know, to not be so rigid, to not, be so, to not hold ourselves so tightly, to not, to not take ourselves so seriously. Yeah. You know when, when you're two people and you want to do things a different way, this person says, I want to plant the tree here, and the other one says, no, I think we should plant the tree here. And say, well, I think it should go here because it'll look better. When it grows up, it'll match the hill and, and it needs this, it needs the light here. And then and no, no, it should be here. And you just, is there an argument? There's only an argument if people are attached to my way. And that's always the case. There's, there's only ever suffering if there's attachment. And so I would suggest that as we reflect on Vaisaka Puja, honouring our teacher, who's truly worthy of honour, that we remind ourselves that when there's suffering, it's not because there's necessarily something going wrong, even here. Because we can also not just blame the world or anything out there for things going wrong, we also blame this one. When when I was saying earlier about lowering ourselves, I'm not talking about putting ourselves down. That's a very easy habit that a lot of us have, to put ourselves down. That's not, that's not lowering ourselves and learning how to take ourselves not so seriously. That's still taking ourselves very seriously. Putting ourselves down is definitely taking ourselves very seriously. Lowering ourselves is learning to bring the quality of awareness, the quality of mindfulness to the present moment experience of suffering, to feel it in the whole body-mind without any judgment, without any opinion, and to trust in that kind of pristine awareness, that intuitive feeling awareness, that eventually is able to discern the cause of the suffering. The cause of the suffering is here. That's why the world's such a mess. It's not because people are bad. It's not because the world stinks. It's not because anything's wrong, but that we're all ignorant. Now, when we see that, when we see there's the cause, well, then there's peace. Because it's like, you know, if you don't know what the cause is, well, it makes it very difficult. You you get indignant about why things are not working the way you want them to be. Like your health. Something something happens to your body and you worry about it. You start losing sleep about it. And and then you think eventually, oh, I better go and see the doctor. And you go and see the doctor. Oh, that's nothing. That happens to everybody. You're right. Yeah, do this. And a few days later, it's all gone. And so when there's suffering, we've got to, if we're going to honour our teachers, we bow into the suffering and say, please teach me what I've got to learn. I'm still here causing trouble. The suffering is the teacher pointing to where it is that we're clinging, where and when and how it is we are clinging. So if we've learnt to bow, if we've learned to honour, if we've learned to soften our back and our neck and our shoulders and bow into life, 
well, then there's a chance that the message will come up and say, there's the cause of suffering. It may be a gross thing, like just, I don't like you being right and me being wrong. You know, I want the tree here. I don't care if you want it there. You might have a very good reason. You know, we can be very stubborn. And even when we know we're wrong, we can insist that we're still right. Well, that's a gross example of the cause of suffering. But there can be very subtle ones as well. Like, for instance, when somebody you love and admire behaves in a, in a peculiar way and, uh, and you get disappointed and you start to suffer and the suffering just goes on and on and on. So, why am I suffering? Well, we've got to be careful with why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? Then maybe that's going too fast. You know, why am I suffering? Second noble truth, the Buddha said. You know, what well, the cause of suffering? Said, well, no, he said, first, these are the first noble truths which is first we've got to know suffering, which might mean actually we've got to even let go of our wanting to understand suffering and just come back and just be mindful. To be just mindful of the suffering of this moment actually takes a lot of work. Isn't it the case that we all have these habits of avoiding suffering? Massive, massive habits of avoiding suffering. Lifetimes of habits. It's called avijja, not knowing it's turning away from the reality of life, the reality that's here in this moment. We have this habit, this condition, deep conditioned habit of turning away from reality and indulging in the stories, uh, the stories that, the, that we've created in our minds. Or as the Buddha said, the houses that we've built. Do you remember that, that verse where he said, house builder, I have seen you. Your ridgepole is broken. No more houses will you build again. Yeah. Yeah. These, these worlds that we create, these movies, these Hollywood stories, these avatars that we create. We all create our own avatar movies. Yeah. And then, we, then we believe in them. Yeah. The practice of mindfulness, the practice of awareness is to recognize the movie is the movie, the story is the story. And to be able to release out of that and come back, no stories, no movies, no opinions, no views, not even wanting to understand suffering, just... Being with it in the moment, that's honouring our teacher. And it can be so difficult. Because, but I want to understand. Well, you can do that if you want. It's like when you've got a sore. You know, the scab's forming and it's itching. It's healing. Right? We all know that. We're all adults. We all know that an itching scab is healing. So oh, I really die to have an itch. And say, no, don't do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, have a good scratch. And then the scab comes off and then it gets infected again. And then oh, and it goes through that again. Well, we all know it, don't we? It would, there's nothing wrong with wanting to scratch. There isn't. It's perfectly understandable. But don't do it. If we do, then that's the consequence. And so, likewise with our suffering, it's perfectly understandable to want to be free from suffering. Perfectly understandable. But if we grasp that wanting, born again. That's it. Born again. We're all born again Buddhists because we've been born again so many times. Yeah, embarrassing the number of times we've been born again. And why we've we been born again? Because we can't stop scratching the itch. Yeah. The desire arises and yeah. we get, I want to understand, I want to know. Well, the first noble truth is there is suffering. Can we just be with it? Feel it in the moment. And if there's some equanimity, if there's some presence, if there's some awareness, 
then maybe we deepen so our investigation can take place at the place where it really matters. We start to see for ourselves, oh, there's the cause of suffering, something that we're doing. doesn't mean to say the pain goes away, yeah, but the suffering will be different. So on Waisaka Puja this year, as we are honouring our teacher and reflecting on honouring our teacher, Ajahn Sumato, who will be uh, leaving at the end of this year, and the way to honour our teachers is not to attach to our teachers, not even to attach to the teaching, but to apply the teachings. Every time we suffer, to remember, this is it. Put our hands together in Anjali, bow into the suffering, say, please teach me. I'm still here causing trouble. Thank you very much. Namayang, Namawadakatasa, Lukadang, Namase.